week uh, to everyone. My name is John. I'm one of the uh, pastors on staff here at Daybreak. And uh, Thanksgiving, the whole holiday season, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I don't know what uh, type of uh, pictures you think of when you think of Thanksgiving. I don't know how much of the things in that video were things you could relate to. I felt like it must be warmer wherever that guy has Thanksgiving. That's one of the things I noticed. Uh, but a lot of us, when we, when we are approaching the Thanksgiving holiday, we have these, these memories in our minds or these, these expectations that come up because of our experiences with, with the holiday. And for some of us, it might be uh, something related to family. Maybe there's particular people, extended family members that you spend the holiday with uh, typically, or maybe it's related to the meal itself. Like maybe that's the part you think of is that, that the moment where the big spread of food is there, you enjoy it uh, together. Maybe that's where, uh, where your focus tends to go. Uh, maybe it's related to football. There's lots of football games at that time, that afternoon even on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, some people like to watch football together and then fall asleep eating uh, after they just gorge themselves on all the food at lunchtime. So that could be part of your uh, tradition. Or maybe you think being, a family, being with your family is great and all that, but what you really look forward to is shopping the next day. Maybe you're one of those early risers that goes... Out. Of course, now you can shop on Thanksgiving Day, right? Anyway, but... Yeah, so we all have different um, pictures or memories or expectations of this holiday that, that is coming up this week. And as I was thinking through Thanksgiving and kind of what some of my pictures are, I have a lot of those same ones in my mind. I have things that focus on the meals and the, the family uh, time and the, and the football and the events and the activities. But as I was thinking through it this week, one of the things I realized is I don't do thankfulness well. <laughs> like, when I, when I picture it and when I process this coming week, like, I don't, like, I tend to miss thankfulness. Like, it's not something that, that, I, that I typically uh, think of. And I don't think of myself as, at this time of the year, like I'm genuinely uh, thankful to God about the things in my life. And it's not that I'm not thankful at all. It's just that that attitude isn't, isn't really there. And so, I'm not saying, like, I'm the Grinch or anything like that, but I tend to overlook blessings. I tend to be somebody that uh, notices, like, what's missing or notices the deficits of what's there as opposed to being thankful for what, what's been provided. I tend to withhold expressing appreciation to people uh, or to God uh, when, I, when I experience something. And I, when I do express thankful, thankfulness, it's normally more for something that they've done for me. Like, hey, thanks for passing the gravy, or hey, thanks for watching the kids, or thanks for not making me watch that parade this year, that kind of thing. How many of you are parade watchers? Thanksgiving Day? Yeah, you guys... Interesting. So, uh, so anyhow, um, maybe you're not like me. Maybe you're somebody who, like, recognizing and noticing things and being thankful for them is something that you do, you do really well. Some people are, are really, they're really good at that. They just, they're, they're people that exude thankfulness. I'm, no, I'm sure all of us in this room know some people that, that are like that. And, and although it can be nauseating to be around those people at times, um, I think for me, the bottom line is when I meet somebody who's like that, who just exudes thankfulness with their personality, I always think to myself, I wish I was more like that. <laughs> like, I, I wish that that was part of, more a part of who I am or a way that I responded to the circumstances in my life. I wish I didn't have to be somebody who had to, like, fake being thankful or, or muster it up. I wish it was just like my, my default. And so my guess is that if we we were to have a discussion this morning about that, a lot of us in this room would feel that same way. Like, if you were honest, you would say, yeah, I would, I, I would like to be somebody who's, who's more thankful, who that's more of a natural thing, or, or, or something at least that, that's more evident uh, in my life. And, and 
That's what we're going to talk about today, and we see throughout Scripture where God invites us to be thankful in a lot of different places. He invites us to show gratitude, to learn how to be uh, content, because that's how he, he envisioned us living. That's how he created us to live, is to be people who uh, are thankful. And so we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture today where uh, the writer gives us some insight or some ideas of how we can start to become more thankful. So if you're like me today, and it's not maybe your biggest strength in the world, Maybe today we can learn together a little bit about some, some steps we could take to become people that are, that are more thankful. So I want to ask you to pull out your outline if you have one. I know we actually ran out today, so I apologize if you were unable to get one when you came in. But it will really help you follow along, uh, not only with the scripture, but with the, the blanks today. The first, uh, the first blank in, in your outline there is, we become thankful as we, number one, notice and celebrate God's nearness. We notice and celebrate God's nearness. We're going to read today from a passage which is from the book of Philippians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of people in a particular place that were trying to figure out what it looked like to follow Jesus together in that place. And he talked about all kinds of stuff throughout his letter uh, and then towards the end, which is the part we're going to be looking at, he starts to, to get into um, this idea of thankfulness, and he starts to invite them to begin to live out a life of gratitude, of thankfulness, of contentment. And so we're going to begin in chapter 4, uh, verse 4. It's in your outline there. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can. It should also be up on the screen for you today. So Philippians 4, verses 4 to 5, it says this. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So Paul, uh, throughout this letter that he writes, he actually uses this word rejoice a number of different times throughout it. And in this particular verse, he even says it multiple times, right? He says it again. And so when he repeats it, he's kind of saying, look, this is a big deal. I want you to get this. I want you uh, to listen to this. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord. And I wanted to find out from you guys, can anybody give me a definition or a description of what what you think the word rejoice means. Like, what, what is that, what do, what do you think that means? Celebrate, okay. Anything else? Give thanks, okay. Anything else? Delight in, okay. Yeah, all of those are, are right on, are on the right track. The, the orig- in the original Greek, which I know a lot of us in this room are Greek scholars, Uh, So I thought I'd point this out. In the original Greek, the word there for rejoice means to delight in God's grace, to take delight in God's grace. And so what Paul is saying off the bat here is he's saying, look, delight in God's grace, delight in his grace, rejoice, rejoice in the fact that God has given and extended his grace to you. And so it's key to understand what this word means because uh, when we find our delight in God's grace, when we're excited about it and it's something that we experience for ourselves, what he says next makes, makes a lot of sense. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all, to those around you. God is near. God is close. God is with you in this moment. And so as we learn to rejoice, as we learn to truly uh, delight in the grace that God extends to us, that gives to us, uh, as we learn to, to, to celebrate that and to delight in that and notice it, uh, his nearness, the fact that he's right here with us is something that we can celebrate. It's something that we can get excited about and he begins to transform us, to start to grow us and develop fruit in us such as the gentleness that this talks about in this passage. My, my son Jacoby is two years old 
I, he turned two in September, and he has always been a pretty good sleeper. All right, that's something that is a gift that he's had since he uh, was born. It's fantastic. It's been, been, been fantastic. Uh, and so uh, we've always been very thankful for that, especially now that we have a five-month-old daughter that's not as gifted in that area asleep, right? And so one of the things we realize is that we basically, we don't love her as much, okay, just because of this. So I just want to clear that up. Hope that gets recorded for, for later. Um, but Jacoby has always slept really well through the night. It's something that he's, he's done well. One of the things that has happened recently is that in the early morning hours, uh, he, he seems to uh, have this incredible ability to sense when we're near. Like in, in, the, in the early morning hours, he's kind of like a, he's like a nearness ninja, it's, it seems like. And so at 5 o'clock in the morning, if I'm, if I'm walking around, maybe I'm heading to the bathroom or something like that, and the floor creaks, or uh, my, my knees crack, or my toes crack, or something like that. Because you know, the quieter you're trying to be, the louder your bones will crack when you walk, right? Like it's just one of the, it's like a law of nature. Um, but if, if, if that happens, I'm walking, it's like he just senses that, something, that, that, that I'm there or I'm near, and so he starts to call out to me. He starts to call out to me and, and to see if I'm really there. And in those moments, he used to just yell. Like he would just used to start, start yelling at the top of his lungs, but we've tried to teach him like, to use his words and that kind of thing. And so lately, uh, when I found myself in this situation where I'm trying to be quiet, right, and, and then all of a sudden I hear, hey. Hey! I'm like, well, he is using his words, so that's good, right? He says, and then, and then there's like a few seconds of silence, and then he's, hey, Papa! Hey, Papa! And there's usually a few more seconds, and then finally now he says, Papa, where are you? And he usually bl- like blurs it all together, so it's, Papa, yar you! Like that's, what it, that's what he tends to say. And if he keeps going, on, because he will keep going, he's very verbal, I eventually go into his room, right? I go into his room, I say, hey, it's, it's me, I'm right here, things are okay, it's not time to get up yet, right? I clarify that, he needs to go back to sleep, and so then I tuck him back in or whatever, and sometimes that actually works on occasion. But Jacoby has this sense, he seems to know when I'm near. It's just something that he knows, and for him, especially in those early mornings when he's like getting ready to, to kind of join the day, um, in those early morning hours, he celebrates when I'm near. He celebrates my nearness. He hopes that I'm there, and he calls out my name. And when he realizes that I am there, when he, when he realizes that it, it is actually me, and I come to him in that moment, he delights in the fact that I'm there with him. And so in a similar way with what Paul is saying to the Philippians, he's saying, look, rejoice. Rejoice. Delight in God's grace. Find your Find your delight in the grace that God has given you. God is near. You can call out to him. He loves you. And this is where I think our picture of who God is is so important. It comes into play here. uh, And it's why, as A.W. Tozer, who's a famous theologian, says, he says that what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. Because if God is near, like Paul says, if God is near, it's only good news if we've embraced his grace, right? If God is near, it's only good news if we've embraced his grace. And that's why Paul connects those two things. He says rejoice, right? Rejoice, the Lord is near. Delight in his grace, he's right here with you. He's close by. 
Because Paul knew God's love, he knew God's grace, he experienced his forgiveness firsthand. And so for Paul, God's nearness was good news. And he wanted the the Philippians to understand that. But if our picture of God doesn't include his grace, if it doesn't include the love that he has for us, the love that he showed for us on the cross, if it doesn't include the forgiveness that he extends to us, chances are that our feelings about his nearness are going to be different than the ones that Paul's talking about. They're going to be different than what he talks about. If I believe God is always mad at me, right? Or if I believe that God is just sitting on the edge of his seat waiting for me to make a mistake so he can punish me. If that's the picture I have of who God is, then his nearness is not going to be good news to me. If If Jacoby were to believe that calling out my name would result in me coming into his room, yelling at him, telling him he needs to go back to sleep, to be quiet, expressing anger to him, then if he hears me creaking out in the hallway, what's he going to think to himself? Shh. Don't say a word. Don't make a noise. I don't want Papa to come in here. Right? That's, that's, that's the attitude that he's going to have. And if that's the picture that you and I have of God, if that's how we view the way that God is and the way that God thinks about us, then we're not going to rejoice with Paul at the fact that God is near. That's not going to be good news to us. Uh, Recently, something that's developed with Jacoby, and this is my last Jacoby story today. Um, I'm trying to channel those. Anyhow, um, one of the things that's recently happened with him is that when he does something he shouldn't, like, for instance, throwing his football at his sister. Okay, this is a regular occurrence. Um, when he does something that he, sh- he shouldn't do, he throws it, as an example, he throws it at his sister, and I confront him about it. Right? I confront him about what he just did. Uh, what does he immediately do? And I don't know where he learned this. I didn't teach him this. But immediately, when I confront him about what he just, just did to his sister, he goes like this. Right? This is, this is what he does. He goes like this, and he holds, his, he, he holds his hands over his eyes like this. He covers his eyes, why? So he can't see me, right? He doesn't want to see me. He doesn't want me to be there, right? He wants to make me disappear. And so in that moment, that's, the, that's, the, that's his reaction. But as he realizes that this didn't make me go away, right? That didn't make me go anywhere. As he realizes that I'm still there, and as I ask him about what, what just happened, I come closer to him, I get his hands, to, I help get his hands uh, down uh, away from his eyes, and then what typically happens is he looks at me and he goes like this, hold you, right? Hold you, Papa. He wants me to hold him, right? That's, that's what his next request is. And why does he want me to hold him in that moment? Why does he say, hold you, Papa, like that? Why does the child who wanted me to disappear a minute ago now suddenly want me to hold him? Why does he suddenly want me to be near? Because he has experienced my grace in our relationship, right? He's experienced my grace. He knows that I love him. He knows that when I'm near, even in his worst moments, that ultimately, that's good news that I'm with him because he's experienced my grace and love. And so as we talk about this idea of becoming thankful, of what that looks like, I really believe that this is the starting point or the foundation for our thankfulness. When our picture of who God is lines up with the picture of what Paul talks about here, The fact that God is near, the fact that God is close, is reason to celebrate. It's reason to rejoice, to delight in his grace. Why? Because he extends his love and his grace to us. One of my favorite quotes comes from a 
famous preacher and writer named Brennan Manning who said that God loves us as we are, not as we should be, because none of us is as we should be. God loves us as we are, not as we should be, because none of us is as we should be. Because God is full of grace and extends love toward us, we can come to him with all of us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, One of the things that we're going to do today, excuse me for a second. One of the things that we're going to do today at the end of each of the points in your outline is we're just going to take a minute and, and be quiet and have an opportunity to spend one minute just praying by ourselves to God. And I don't know if that's something you've ever done before, if that's uh, kind of a new, a new idea for you or whatever, and, that, and, and I would encourage you maybe to try it out. If, it's, if you're not really comfortable with that, then you can just sit quietly, that's fine. Uh, but I'd invite you to, to give it a shot. But what I want to do is, over, we're gonna, I'm going to give you a minute here, and we're going to be silent, and I want you to consider talking to God for the next minute about his nearness, about his nearness. And maybe your prayer to God in that minute would be something along the lines of uh, when Jacoby said, where are you, Papa? <laughs> where are you, Papa? Maybe if you're honest, where you, where you are right now, you would say, like, I'm not, I don't really sense that God's near. Maybe something that you're going through, something you, that you feel you're like, I'm not even sure he's really near. And so maybe for you, in, the, in this minute of, uh, of quiet, maybe that's what your prayer is about. It's about asking God, God, would you show me that you're near me? Would you reveal yourself to me? Or maybe your prayer is something more related to his grace. You know where you are, that you've kind of, with God, you've kind of been like this, just wishing he'd disappear or go away. And so maybe for the next minute, when in your prayer maybe is more, hold, hold you, Papa, <laughs> hold me. Maybe that's what your, your prayer is. Um, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So let's try this. Let's take a, a minute and we'll be silent. And I encourage you to talk to God about the fact that he says he is near us. We become thankful. One of the ways that we become thankful is when we celebrate and notice God's nearness. The second point in your outline is this, and you will have to wake back up for this part, is that we become thankful as we, number two, allow God's peace to guard us. As we allow God's peace to guard us. Paul continues uh, in your outline there, verses 6 through 9, he says this. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So again, Paul starts out by inviting his listeners, the people that that he was writing to, inviting them to rejoice in his nearness, to rejoice in the fact that God is with them right now. And then he goes in to, to talk about one of the things that they were struggling with, which is anxiety. They wrestled with being anxious and worried and concerned about the things that were going on in their lives. They were, they, were, uh, they were taking a look at their circumstances and their struggles and their doubts and the future and all those things, and they were struggling with anxiety. Does it sound familiar? Right? <laughs> Does it sound familiar? Anxiety and peace, which he talks about here, are both related to loving God with our minds. Um, one of the, when we, there's a, a place in Scripture where gets referred to a lot, it's called the great commandment. And Jesus, Jesus talks about this, and he says that, that part of that is that the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, and your strength. And there's this, this mind component that one of the things relating to loving God with all your mind deals with this, this, this anxiety and peace and the difference between those two things. The word uh, anxiety uh, literally translated, means to divide something or to, to basically to pull it apart. So when, 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 when that's what happens when we get anxious is that we actually start to, to get pulled apart and, and, and divided. And the, world, the word translated peace means wholeness, or it actually means literally when all the parts are joined together. And so anxiety and peace are two very, very different things that's why Paul talks about them here, and he, he says, God wants to give you peace. But what, happen, what happens is your, your tendency is to go towards anxiety, to start to feel yourself pulled apart. So he says, what you need to do, guys, is, is not to allow anxiety to rule in your mind. Don't give in to the constant temptation to worry, because when you do, you're becoming double-minded. You're, you're, you're actually participating in dividing yourself. You're actually participating in yourself, in your mind getting pulled apart which is the opposite of the wholeness or the peace that God uh, intends for you. And so for me, as someone who's, who's struggled with anxiety, that's something that I've, I've wrestled with myself, I can, I can attest to the fact that, that what it really boils down to, what anxiety really boils down to, is it's a refusal to, trust, to really trust God in the midst of my circumstances. It's a refusal to really believe that he's in control, that he's good, that he always has my best in mind, and that he's worthy of my trust. And so instead of making a decision to trust God, instead of trusting him, I, I have anxiety about the future, about, about whatever I think the future is going to look like, and that starts to pull me apart. Or instead of trusting God, I, I worry about money and possessions, and not just what I have right now, uh, but what I'm going to have in the future. And as my, my mind starts to go there and I start to allow myself to experience anxiety, it starts to pull me apart. Instead of trusting God, I have anxiety over what other people think about me or, or, or whose approval I need to get or who has it out for me. And as I do that, my anxiety starts to pull me apart. Or instead of trusting God, I worry about what's going to happen with my kids. What's gonna, what, how are they going to turn out? What choices are they going to make? How many activities should I have them in or not have them in? How should we spend our, our time? Am I going to scar them beyond any possible, uh, uh, any possible repair? 
And as I start to allow those things into my mind and I start to worry about them instead of trusting God, it starts to cause anxiety, which starts to pull me apart. Instead of trusting anxiety, or instead of trusting God, I have anxiety about all of the what-if scenarios that could possibly happen. And if you're somebody that wrestles with this, that struggles with anxiety, you know that there is an endless supply of what-if possibilities that, that you can come up with that start to pull you apart and cause you to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to trust you, God. I'm going to figure this thing out on my own, or I'm going to try to control this situation or make things work out the way that I want. And so at the core of anxiety, which is what Paul's talking about here, at the core of anxiety is this refusal to really trust God with the tangible things in my life. And I might be able to say that I trust God and and use my words, but when it boils down to it, I don't really trust him with the tangible things in my life. And this relates back to the image of God that we have, like we talked about in that first point. And that's why Paul begins by telling us, rejoice in the fact that God is near, right? Delight in, in, in the grace that God's, God has given you. He is close by. And then in the very next breath, he says, and because of that, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, trust him. And when you do, he's going to give you his peace. And that anxiety that tends to pull you apart, he's going to start to bring wholeness and peace there. And so instead of allowing anxiety to become the norm, he says, choose to trust God. Instead of worrying about all the what-ifs that constantly plague you, bring those things to God. He says, pray, right? In this verse, he says, pray. He says, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Talk to God about those things that are causing you to get pulled apart. Talk to God about those things that are causing you anxiety. Bring them before him. Continually trust them to him, present those requests to God. And then he says that as we do that, as we present those requests to God, God is going to do what? He's going to fix everything? No. He's going to do exactly what we want him to do? No. It says that as we bring those things to him that are dividing our minds, he's going to start to, to, to bring peace, which is to start to bring those things that have been pulled apart back together, and he says that the peace of God, I like the words he uses, he says, will transcend, it transcends all understanding, which basically means the peace you experience, it ain't even going to make sense to you, right? That's what he says. Like, it's not, you're not even going to believe it. It's not even going to make sense to you, the type of peace that God gives you. And so he says that this peace that God gives you, you can't even, you won't even be able to understand it. It transcends your understanding. He said, that peace that you have, that joining back together the things that the anxiety has been pulling apart, he says that that is going to be what guards your heart and your mind. That peace is going to guard your heart and your mind. It's going to stand guard and protect you. It's going to stand and protect you from from the divisions that are caused when you're anxious. As God gives us his peace, it starts to bring wholeness to the places in our hearts and our minds that get divided by our anxieties. And so then Paul goes on and he says, what does that wholeness look like? Like when somebody's mind is, is starting to get joined back together, as somebody whose mind had been pulled apart by these anxieties and it starts to get joined back together, what does that look like? What do those people think about? And that's where he lists all of these whatevers in the verses, right? Whatever, whatever is true, pure, lovely, right, admirable, noble, praiseworthy, excellent. He says, think about those things. When, God, when God's peace is guarding you, those are the types of things that your mind will start to go after. When you continually give these things to God that, te- that typically pull you apart, as he gives you, the, gives you his peace that transcends your understanding, these are the types of things, he says, that are gonna start, uh, you're going to start to see. These are the things that your mind 
is going to go after. So Paul says, I want you to do this. I want you to put into practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So when we choose to trust God, when we choose to trust God, uh, uh, instead of allowing ourselves to be pulled apart by our anxieties, Paul says that we experience the peace of God and we experience the nearness of the God of peace. And so I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about Think about this, it's pretty straightforward. Is In what area of your life, or areas in your life, does God want you to trust him more so that you can move from anxiety toward peace? What area in your life does, do you tend to, to have anxieties that just are, are, are pulling you apart, that God says, I want you to start to trust that to me and allow me to start to bring peace to you in that area that's going to transcend any understanding that you have? What I want to do is I want to take another minute now and I want to spend another minute in silence, in prayer together. And what I want you to do is is I want you to either picture yourself doing this or you can actually do it if you'd like. But I want you to think about that that particular area that for you causes anxiety. It just causes you to, you can just sense yourself getting pulled apart when you you think about that. I want you to consider it in your hand and and I want you to clench your fist or, or picture yourself clenching your fist around that thing, because this is what anxiety does to us, right? It, ca- it has us holding on to things so tightly um, that the, the very same things that are, that are actually tearing us apart. And so what I want to do is, as we take this minute to pray, I want to invite you to talk with God about what that is that you're holding on to, and begin to ask him to bring his peace into that area of your life. Ask, say, God, I want you to start to bring peace into that area of your life. And then what, what I want you to do is, as a sign of you saying, I'm going to trust you with this, as much as I can right now, I'm going to trust you with this. Maybe what you want to do is just kind of release it like this to God as just a symbol of saying, God, I'm going to, I'm going to hand this over uh, to you. Remember, Paul says here, he says, don't be anxious about anything. In every situation, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let's take the next minute and, and uh, pray silently together. We become thankful as we notice and celebrate God's nearness, as we allow his peace to start to guard us. And then the last point there in your outline is that we become thankful as we, number three, discover the secret to contentment. As we discover the secret to contentment. So Paul's getting really close to the end of his letter here, and he starts to get a little bit more personal about what's going on in him, 
And so then he says these next things. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, if you know, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul's life, you know that he went through a lot. And in this, in this little paragraph, he kind of sums up one of the biggest lessons that he learned during his journey. And he says that the secret to being content is something that he had to learn. It wasn't like a sudden thing for him. It was something that he had to learn over time. And he learned that it's, it can't be based on his circumstances, that it's not, it can't be based on things going right, about being um, well-fed, about having a lot of everything uh, just going the way he had hoped. He says that contentment is something that you learn through a process. And as you learn that, through that process, you start to realize that the strength that's, that's inherent in contentment comes from Jesus. That verse there, I can do all, all things through him, who, all this through him who gives me strength, is a famous verse, right? A lot, we, a lot of us may be very familiar with that verse, but sometimes we forget that that's tied to this idea of contentment that Paul was sharing. Um, there's a, a, a book by the name of The Greener Grass Conspiracy by Stephen Altrogi, and he talks quite a bit uh, about Paul's journey, and I just want to read you a little piece of this uh, today. He says this, he says, Paul's contentment wasn't the result of a mountaintop spiritual experience. And he didn't learn it from the pages of a best-selling book. He didn't have the demon of discontentment cast out of him. More importantly, Paul wasn't content because things were going well for him. The dice were not rolling Paul's way when he wrote to the Philippians. Paul had a contentment that transcended circumstances. If you met Paul in prison, he would have had a joyful smile on his face. If you met Paul relaxing in his home, the smile would have still been there. Paul had learned to be content. This implies that Paul wasn't always a model citizen of contentment. In times past, he may have stalked the confines of his prison, shooting sinister glances at the guards, kicking at the walls, and muttering complaints under his breath. He couldn't always claim to be content in every circumstance. Over the years, however, something changed in Paul. He was transformed from discontent to content, from complaining against God to joyfully submitting to God, from raging to praising. He learned to cheerfully and humbly submit to God's will, even when that will involved prison, hunger, or stoning. But change never takes place in a vacuum, and Paul was certainly no exception. His transformation was the result of being squeezed, shaped, and pressed by the various circumstances that God brought to him. God brought Paul low, very low. He was stoned to a bloody pulp by an angry mob. He was beaten with rods three different times. And he had his back mulched by a whip on five separate occasions. Paul was shipwrecked at least four times. Did he still have scars and divots on his head from the stones? Did the repeated beatings cause him to walk with a limp? How many days did Paul lie on his stomach while his back was healing? How many nights did Paul spend in the ocean clinging to a piece of driftwood and pleading with God to wash him up on the beach? Paul knew lowliness in a way that few of us will ever experience. And yet it was in the midst of this lowliness that God taught Paul the secret of contentment. 
Paul learned to be content in suffering only through suffering. He learned to be content with hunger only after feeling sick and dizzy with malnutrition. God allowed Paul to prosper so that he would learn how to enjoy abundance without clinging to it. Paul's supernatural contentment was the result of being placed in circumstances that were beyond his strength, which forced him to cry out to God for contentment. I can imagine Paul pleading with God for strength as a friend dabbed his ruined back with a damp cloth. I can see him holding his bloodied head between his hands and blessing the Lord. Paul's supernatural contentment was learned in the hills and the valleys of life. For us to experience that type of contentment that Paul talks about, there's really no way to learn it except through our experiences, through the ups and downs, through the goods and bads, through the successes and the struggles. And that's because the type of contentment that Paul talks about is one that has nothing to do with circumstances. It's not based on our circumstances. It's based on our, on our trust in who God is in the midst of whatever our circumstances are. And it's learning, as Paul did, that we can do all things, right? We can do all things through him who gives us strength. So Paul learned how to praise God, how to rejoice in the Lord, how to be thankful to him in, both, in the midst of both the great and the challenging circumstances. That, for Paul, was the secret to contentment. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to give us one more chance uh, to spend some time in prayer. Uh, and I know um, some of us in this room today, we all come from different places. We all are at different places in our journey. We're all experiencing different circumstances in our lives right now. And you might be here this morning and you just feel like right now it's so easy to spot the blessings in your life. Like you're, you find it, it just, God's doing some amazing, like you're just thankful, you feel thankful all the time. Maybe that's where you are today. Or maybe you're here and if you're honest, you would say, look, I'm just, I'm struggling. Like things are just, they're, they're rough right now. It's tough for me to be content in the, in what, in the circumstances that I'm going through right now. And so what I want to do is over this next minute of silence together, I want to give you a chance where, wherever you are on that spectrum to notice something that you're thankful for and to express your thanks to God. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. So let's take a minute, let's be quiet together, and take an opportunity to thank him. Amen. I want to uh, I want to invite you uh, to pull out your response card. If you've been to Daybreak before, you know this is something that we do uh, every week. And on the back of that card, there's some blank lines where you have an opportunity just to write down some of the ways that you felt God speaking to you or challenging you or, or something new that you learned uh, today. 
And so I want to encourage you, these guys are going to lead us uh, in a song, and I want to encourage you, maybe you just want to write down something that you're thankful for. Maybe that's, that's where you are today. Um, maybe you want to just thank him for something that's happening in your life. Or maybe you want to write something down related to God's nearness. Maybe he, he talked to you or spoke to you about that today. Or maybe it's something related to this anxiety thing. <laughs> and whatever that thing was that you've, you, you knew you were holding on to, maybe what you want to write on your card today is say, God, I want to, I want to begin to release this thing that I've been anxious for. I need your peace. So as these guys lead us, let's take the opportunity together today to respond uh, to the ways that God's challenged.